From the low plains of the great American Midwest, I bid you all good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you may be in the cosmos. And this is Ghost to Ghost PM from the peripheral. How y'all doing? We're going to start out with a ghost story from me. Uh, I've actually told this ghost story once before on the Generation Y Amityville episode, but I'm going to go ahead and give a more flushed out version of it. I grew up not being exposed to anything paranormal, ghostly. I loved horror movies, but didn't believe in it. I was always skeptical from a very early age. As I grew up, I actually worked in haunted houses where you'd dress up as a monster and you know jump out and scare people. I would do uh, night jobs, walk to my car late at night in the middle of darkness, never had a fear of the dark, ever. And sometime around the mid-90s, end of high school, my grandfather, who kind of raised me, I grew up around him, he and my grandmother lived in this house, and my mother and I, we would live downstairs, my mother, my brother, my sister. My grandfather had a workshop downstairs, and I would hang out with him in the workshop and watch him work, watch him do things. But the upstairs was more or less where he and my grandmother lived, and the downstairs was where we lived. He came down with cancer, and they were fighting it back and forth with chemo, and it took a while. But he eventually died from it. And after he died, We were still living in the house for a bit. I never felt creeped out in this house. I never had any sort of fear of this house. Nothing. But after his death, I started hearing noises. I started having pressure on my chest or just a feeling of unease when I was upstairs. Downstairs in the basement where I pretty much lived and spent most of my time, no problem. But as I'd walk upstairs, it was almost like the air was heavier. A weird thing was is there was a, a living room, television room downstairs that was kind of my bedroom, but it was more or less a family room. And as I'd walk down the stairs, I would hear the TV on, like that low drone of commercials and voices and whatever. And I would get down to the base of the stairs and I'd open the door to the room and the TV wouldn't be on, and the noise would be gone, the sound, there'd be nothing. My friends would sometimes spend the night, and I remember one night, uh, one of them had to leave very late, and they were waiting on either their friend or somebody to come pick them up, and you would hear car door slam. Now, given, you know, a neighbor would come home, and they would slam the car door and you would probably hear that and you could mistake that for somebody in our driveway but the neighbors were a little bit of a distance away so I could tell the difference between a neighbor coming home or somebody in the driveway when somebody would slam the car door in our driveway it was very loud and you would hear that all day and all night long 
but there wouldn't be anyone around. So my friend is waiting for his parents to come pick him up, and he keeps hearing car doors slam, and he thinks that his ride's arrived. He keeps running outside to look, and there's nothing out there. And this is pretty late at night. This is like one in the morning. My neighbors aren't coming home. and This is in a neighborhood that's pretty much old people. They're not coming and going at all hours of the night. So my friend is actually experiencing what I have been noticing all this time. And it's not just me hearing car doors slam. It's not just me hearing a TV on in another room. I had a, a cat. When you were downstairs in the basement, if the cat ran across the, you know, the floor upstairs, you could hear it, you know, it's pattering of its feet. But I would hear that same sound, but it would sound like a much larger animal. I would just assume it was my cat. And then I would notice my cat would be laying on the couch with me or on in my bed with me when I would hear this noise. So it wasn't my cat. It wasn't like squirrels on the roof because it sounded like it was on the carpeted floor upstairs, not on the rooftop. I always tried to find reason. I always tried to find the explanation. So I would just assume squirrels. I would just assume the neighbor's car. I would just assume I didn't hear the TV on and I would move on. But that pressure, that feeling I always felt upstairs. It was always there. Eventually, I would move out, be on my own. Uh, My grandmother was very much alive and still is very much alive today. She's 92 years old, I think. This was back in the mid-90s when my grandfather passed away. So he's been gone a while. Uh, My grandmother has been very active in her later years, and she Uh, likes to travel a lot and sometimes she would go to Europe or Asia and she'd be gone for weeks on end. One time she was in Asia and I think she was gone for a month so my mother had asked me to house sit while she was gone. So I, I was staying there off and on, nothing really out of the ordinary. I wasn't thinking about him, I wasn't thinking about my grandmother or my grandfather, I was just hanging out in their house. There was no subliminal idea. There was no scariness there. This just came out of the blue. My mom told me that she was going to be stopping by later. So I was waiting for her. And again, I started hearing the car door slam. And she never would come inside and I wasn't seeing her. Uh, This night, it was a little windy, but nothing out of the ordinary. You know, just a little breeze going on. So branches are hitting the house. I'm, I'm hearing noises, but again, I'm finding the logical explanations for them. There was a bathroom upstairs in the hallway. And this bathroom was kind of creepy because it was wallpapered on all walls and the door. And it was a patterned wallpaper. So when you go inside this bathroom and you'd close the door, all of a sudden you would just feel like you're in an enclosed room. And if you didn't look for the doorknob, you literally could get turned around and not know your way out. Uh, There was a open bath, a toilet, a bidet, because that's how old this house is, and then a vanity. I never closed the door 
because it always creeped me out that the the wallpaper was on the door and it would kind of make you feel a little claustrophobic. So I, I left the door open while I went to go pee. Understand that my grandmother's been gone for weeks and my mother's coming to stop by to check on the house before my grandmother comes home because she wants to make sure that I haven't burned the place down pretty much. I'm 19 or 20 years old, so I'm grown up. I, I know what's going on. I'm an adult. As I'm going, I hear something down the hall in the master bedroom kind of move. I think it's a branch hitting the side of the house, the wind, whatever. Then I heard a voice, and my grandmother's name happens to be Ellen, and this voice said, Ellen, is that you? This voice was my grandfather's voice. It was very distinct. It was a very low, direct tone. There's no mistaking it. There was no, something could have sounded like a human voice. There was no way it was a neighbor talking outside and I misconstrued what they were saying and thought it said, Ellen, is that you? This was a voice that I recognized as my grandfather's voice from five years prior. I pinched off. And if you're a, a, a man, you're a guy, you, you know that that's a painful process to do. And I ran out of the house screaming because regardless of whether this was a, a loved one of mine or something that I'm familiar with, a family member, whatever, regardless of how threatening or non-threatening it was, I did not believe so this is a complete tear in the fabric of my reality. This is everything being turned on its head, everything I believe, everything I thought I knew, completely wrong. Funny enough, as I run out into the front yard, because I just wanted to get the hell out of the house, my mom pulled up, and she gets out of her car, and she goes, what's wrong? And I said, I, I heard granddad's voice. She says what are you talking about? I'm like, he just spoke to me. And she started trying to calm me down like a five-year-old, like, oh, you're just hearing things. You just heard the wind. And <laughs> I'm 20 years old or however old I was. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I just heard his voice and I recognized it. It was him. And she just disregarded it. She she just walked into the house like nothing happened. I actually walked around to the side of the house and finished my business because I didn't want to go back inside the house. I was too afraid. I did not want to hear or see what was inside that house. That's my ghost story. I still retain most of my skepticism to this day, but this is the one time that I had an experience that I have zero explanation. I have zero reason to say that this wasn't as I perceived it. Let's welcome Danielle, our first caller. All right. Well, my name is Danielle. I live in the Chicago suburbs, and I have a spooky story. So my mom worked with a woman whose son passed away. Uh, they were at a family party. I think it was a, a 4th of July party, and two children wandered away from their parents, and they uh, went in the above ground pool. Mm -hmm. 
So there were two kids in the swimming pool, and the father of one of the kids went and saw that she was in the pool and got her out, but they did not notice that there was another boy uh, who was underneath uh, one of the floating rafts, Mm -hmm. and they didn't realize that until way later when they noticed that there was one more kid missing, and then they found him, but unfortunately, none of the adults at the party knew CPR, and there was just no saving him. I was very sheltered from the death and the funeral. I was I was between 8 and 10 years old. I don't remember exactly, but my mom didn't really want me to know about it. I obviously didn't go to the funeral, didn't really go to the hospital when this all happened, but my mom would go to her house a lot to offer her food, just a shoulder to cry on. She was one of uh, her co-workers, but I didn't really know her very well. If I happened to be home from school for a you know, just a day off from school. If I was sick, I'd go in there, but I just in passing, I knew her. But one night my mom needed me to go with her. So I went to her house and it was the weirdest feeling that I completely still remember. I walked in and I was just overcome with just like fury. I was so mad when I walked into her house, but I couldn't like explain why. And I, I was looking all around her house and all I could think of was like where are all of my pictures and obviously it wasn't me because there wouldn't be pictures of me there but I would look at like a wall or I'd look at a shelf and I just knew something was missing but I've never been in their house nothing was obvious it wasn't like dust had settled and like there was a clearly blank spot where something used to be it was just you know just an average house but I just wanted to know where all my pictures were and I was just so mad but I was a really quiet kid so I didn't say anything and I just you know pretended everything was okay the the visit was pretty short because it was a late night and I had to be in school the next day so we went home but I didn't know what to tell my mom so I just didn't say anything I just uh I knew something weird had just happened but I couldn't tell my mom like I'm so mad my pictures aren't in her house and I just let it go but I got home that night and I was still kind of feeling a little strange didn't quite understand what happened that night and uh, my dad wasn't home very often so I decided to sleep in my parents room. I'd gone to bed and I was awoken to seeing the little boy that was in the pictures that were missing. Uh, My mom had one of those old-fashioned radiators that just kind of like stood alone against the wall and he was standing on top of it like clear as day and he looked he looked really sad it didn't come in with like intention of evil. He was just like so sad and like mad beside himself. And I could just like feel all that. But I do. I wasn't like, Oh, what's wrong little boy. Like I started screaming (laughs) and crying and thrashing. And then my mom wakes up and she says, what's wrong? And I said, the little boy. And she's like, what are you talking about? A little boy. And I'm pointing at the foot of her bed saying he's right there. Like, you don't see him? And she was like, no, I I don't know what you're talking about. It's sort of been up for debate because my mom still says like my eyes were closed and I was sleeping, but I could still hear everything she was saying. We were communicating. I was answering her questions, but she said I was sleeping, but I don't know kind of good timing for the night terror episode. Like (laughs) it sounds like in night terrors, you don't exactly know what's going on, but like I knew exactly what was going on. I was answering questions. Everything was kind of like happening in real time. He never said anything to me. He was just standing there, like looking like dejected. And eventually I fell back asleep. My poor mother still tells me to this day, like, I did not go to bed that night. (laughs) 
And she's like, all the things you put me through. (laughs) The next morning, right when I woke up, she just right away said, what happened last night? And I just like darted back at her and said, where are all of his pictures? And then like the look of horror on her face, because she was able to, to piece it all together, like why I was quiet that night. And then like what happened that night. And then suddenly saying like, where's all his pictures and she was able to to piece it together and kind of figure out what happened that night you know sometimes when your kid says oh i saw a ghost like there's no way to like explain it or like oh it's a nightmare but the like series of events was just so strange that it it really couldn't be explained any other way yeah and you you actually had a something tying it together it's not right you know there was some confirmation there Because there's times where I'm like, did this really happen? Like, did I really see this? And then I tell myself, like, I wish there was another explanation. Like, I wish this wasn't true. I would always tell my mom, like, you have to call her and tell her. And she's like, Danielle, I can't just call someone and say her dead son wants his pictures back up. Like, you you can't just approach someone, especially when this was fresh. I mean, it's not like it was years after he passed. It was pretty fresh. I don't feel that this was the last story with him because when he passed away, she was pregnant with a baby girl and when she was old enough to start talking like toddler age she would always say that she was playing with this little boy and so many people would be like oh it's just imaginary friend after a while like even the aunt was kind of like you know that is kind of strange like she keeps saying she's playing with a little boy and kind of describes him and it sounds like him i was telling my mom about this and she is still kind of like is this real is it not and then one day she was, you know, sitting coloring and I was babysitting her and uh, she like, kept shrugging her shoulder like someone was like poking her or touching her. And she kept saying, stop it, you know, stop it, like to her, her eldest brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom said, he's, he's across the room. And she just looked at us and went, oh. <laughs> and then I looked at my mom and I said, do you know what I'm talking about now? Like, like you saw that. It's almost like he went to his sister afterwards I wonder you know when you mentioned the night terror thing I know that people remember their night terrors and I know that people can speak to people while they're having a night terror Mm -hmm. but to remember to remember the whole incident and converse and remember the conversation yeah there's so many different elements there I'm like is that really possible Uh, right but then you had this information you know if it was a night terror how would you know about the pictures right so yeah i'd never been in their house i i never even met the little boy to know what he looked like like to know that his pictures were gone i never saw a picture of him you know she didn't have like pictures of him on her desk it's i knew nothing (laughs) it's that's how i feel yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean in your mother your her her reaction is very normal i would just be like whoa okay yeah then there's something to this and no I'm not going to call this person who lost right. their child because that's <laughs> really not a you know appropriate thing to do um, so yeah that's it's, it's a really creepy story uh, even though you didn't feel threatened but just oh, the, the fact yeah and she actually did eventually call her and just say I can't explain what happened like I'm not going to go into details but maybe you should put his pictures back up. And that's when she said she had just taken them down because the their father actually said, like, I can't, I can't look at them anymore. It's too fresh, yeah. Yeah, so he had asked to put, put them down, and then that's when I came over. He let me know that he didn't like that. Yeah. 
thank you so much for talking to me and uh you have a good night and thank you so much thanks all right bye our next caller is Lindsay. she joined us on the generation y episode 78 hello how you doing i'm good well i miss talking to you it's been a while yeah it has been a while (laughs) your episode's like huge is it yes (laughs) good (laughs) yeah so it's a big episode I wanted to thank Good. you. You can tell as many ghost stories as you want. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I have lots of ghost stories. Awesome. I just there's I've only experienced one, I mm. guess, is what it is. Yeah, when was it and where were you at? Okay. I was working at a nursing home in Tipton, Missouri, which is best known for its eight ball um water tower. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like the world's biggest eight ballish thing. But it's a relatively small community. Um, to me, small was where I grew up in Clarksburg, which is 300 people. But I was working at a nursing home. I usually did uh, dinner there. Um, I cooked. Um, I didn't. So we, you know, we worked with the residents some and I had, you know, my favorites and all of that. But uh, we were having issues at the time with the nursing staff coming back into the kitchen and helping themselves to things and we couldn't let them do that because you know some residents are on diets and like we have to control that kind of stuff so we were doing this thing where we were locking our doors the whole the layout of the um the kitchen they had there was three doors that you could get in one was in the back it had a bell on it you always heard when people came in and then there was one from the kitchen to the dining room and then one from the dish room to the dining room. Every night we would we would serve to the people in uh, in the main dining room, and then there was also the residents in the locked unit, which is where your Alzheimer's patients and dementia those people stayed. So we would have to take these carts full of food down, and then you'd bring them back up um, whenever to wash the dishes, and then you wash the dishes and take it back so we were on our way back from taking their dishes so there's nobody in the dining room at this point it's all been cleaned we're at the end of our stuff but we had locked the doors to make sure that no nurses were going in when we weren't there yeah yeah. so i'm like unlocking the door and my friend is uh well she's she was the aide that was working with me that night and she was bent over like putting away clean coffee mugs or something And I open the door and I look up and there's a woman standing. Like if you look straight back, there's a door that where like where a corner would have been, there's a door and it leads into a stock room. If you stand in front of the doorway, there's, you can see the wall behind it. There was a bread rack there. I couldn't see the bread rack. Like there was a person standing there. She was wearing scrubs, which is what we wore. And uh, I was wearing a uniform and she was looking into the dry stock room. She didn't turn to look at me. She didn't. I just like, I I remember looking at her and then I looked down. I was like, who the hell is in our kitchen? And then thinking it's a nurse or somebody like, yeah, yeah. because you know, I was like, who is that? I didn't recognize her. And then she was gone. You know, normally you think if you, if you've just seen a ghost, you would be scared shitless or whatever. But it was one of those things where it just seemed normal for a person in scrubs to be in the kitchen, but there wasn't supposed to have been anyone there. And so I immediately walked back there trying to find her. There was nobody in that kitchen. There was nobody in the dry stock room. I, we would have heard the bell on the back door if, it, if they, someone had left. And I looked in the cooler, in the freezer. I looked in all of those. I couldn't find anyone. And my, the whole time this aide, she's like 
what are you doing? Like, what are you? And I'm like, there was somebody in here. So she's looking at me like I'm crazy. She's like, well, what did she look like? So I described her. I was like, she was like five, six. She was wearing really colorful scrubs and she had like short curly brown hair. And she's like, holy crap. Her face just went like white. So she grabs my arm and we go back into the, um, our boss's office and she pulls out this photo album. Of course. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, that's what I love is that we immediately figured this out. And she pulls out this photo album and she's flipping through it and she's like, do you recognize anybody? Then I was like pale and went white. I was like, oh my God, that's her. And it turned out that it was the, a woman that had worked there just before I started. Um, she had a stroke at work and then she wound up passing away she loved that job so apparently she was sticking around (laughs) getting the the overtime (laughs) yeah you know she she just loved it there it was like her home and uh and after that i started to notice things like you would turn around and a burner would be on it was the gas stove Mm -hmm. and you'd be like sue (laughs) that was her name you're like i don't need your help leave me alone and but you would get those creepy feelings and stuff and apparently sue was hanging around and up until that point, when you saw her in the kitchen, you had no idea who she was, no, no idea that there was even a history of haunting or a history of anything at all. So Not at all. I, I knew about about her. I knew I'd heard about an employee that they loved that had had a medical issue and passed away suddenly. But they never said anything about you know weird stuff happening in the kitchen or whatever until after that happened. That's kind of what I whenever somebody goes to an old house, like I'm supposed to go out on a haunted tour and everyone's like, Oh, well, this house, so many people died in it. And da, 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 And there's a little girl that haunts it. And I'm like, well, you, now you just subliminally, you know, put all exactly. that in my head. <laughs> exactly. But you didn't have that. <laughs> oh, none of that. And of course, you know, you're in a nursing home, you kind of expect some sort of weirdness. Cause that rule of threes thing where it's like, there's two expected deaths and one unexpected always happened. Mm-hmm. Always. It was so weird. But that was like the creepiest thing. And then just all of a sudden you'd think, cause in the kitchen, you don't feel it's a kitchen. So <laughs> you just don't expect you always, when you think of hauntings, you're thinking of like dark bedrooms and someone grabs your ankle or, you know, whatever. Or, or a room that the morgue was in at one point right, or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. There's no, I mean, if, if you're going to accept it, there's no rhyme or reason to it anymore. <laughs> so right. that's how I feel is if, if you're going to say, well, where should a ghost be? Well, eh, it's, it's going to be anywhere. That's the way I feel about it. They're everywhere. <laughs> exactly. You have another one of a friend being followed home. My sister. Sister. All right. Yes. My sister is, oh gosh, what would you call her? A sensitive? Clairvoyant um, or sensitive. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I, well, when I hear the word name. clairvoyant, yeah. I think of like someone who can see the future. Yeah. So she, she's the, she's the sensitive. The way I kind of think of it is that she's like, like if you think that everybody's tuned into a frequency, like a radio, her frequency that she puts out is just a little off of the rest of ours and it attracts things. Mm-hmm. She was, there was, um, Clarksburg school. We had a kindergarten through eighth grade school and it was the host of, a city dance they all the other little schools in the area would come together and they'd have a dance well one one year this kid snuck out with some friends from the town and they started drinking alcohol and he wound up getting beat to death across the street from the church mm-hmm. and it was a huge shocking deal because you know such a small town and nothing like that ever happens there that whole thing 
sure. add alcohol and anything's possible, really. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Pretty much. Because uh, apparently they beat him to death because he wouldn't sit down and keep drinking. Uh, yeah. And of course, the person who did it was never caught. And, mm-hmm. you know, but the where it happened was actually um, maybe like two lots up from a family friend of ours uh, where their house was. So it wasn't it was, you know, maybe a two minute walk, if that from their house. And my sister was down there playing cards. She had to leave and go home because I think the streetlights had come on or something. Cause it was at that time when you could streetlights came on, it was curfew. <laughs> and, uh, she, she leaves the house and their dog is tied up out front and he's barking. He's barking like crazy in that direction. And, uh, she gets this really weird feeling and she starts to walk home. She hadn't seen anybody yet. She gets home and, she suddenly she sees him and she knows who it is. It's the kid that got murdered and he was in our house. I was apparently in my bedroom and I knew none of this happened until after the fact. And she said that she was really freaked out because she's never been very okay with what she can do. And so she was really freaked out and she said that she was trying to ignore him, but he seemed to be really happy about the fact that she could see him and that he was bothering her. So he, he might have been a turd, I don't know, um, in real you know, in his life. But he so he goes and she's starting to like hyperventilate and cry and stuff, and he decides to get up and pass through her. So he literally walks through her and when he does that, she saw everything that happened to him in her head. She saw them beating him, you know, she saw all of that, and then she felt all of his injuries. So she got, and I don't, I don't know why that is. I guess it's, I don't know. I mean, there's probably a million theories that someone could come up with, but I would assume it's, you know, his energy, you know, projecting that or leaving something with her. But she wound up having bronchitis for like two months afterwards, and it turned out he'd had a punctured lung. Oh wow! And so she, she felt everything. She's freaking out, and he didn't leave until my mom came home, and our mom is a big believer she's had her own experiences and she was like what is wrong because my sister's freaking out and she tells her she's like there's someone here and he won't leave me alone so my mom you know is a very strong like get out of my house type and so she did that and then he left and then she kind of came out of it but that's probably one of the freakiest things that's ever happened to her well thank you for coming on Lindsay. and our next caller is denise from Missouri. Um, my name is Denise Sia, mm-hmm. and I'm from the Kansas City area. I was born and raised here. And um, I have been involved with the paranormal probably my, pretty much most of my life, but an extensive research since 2010. So my um, interest into the paranormal came pretty much most of my life. I grew up on a farmhouse out in Lee Summit. It was known to be haunted in the front yard of the house. There's a cemetery called the Wells Cemetery. And so the house was just full of activity. Um, It was also a very heavily Civil War area. How old Mm -hmm. were you when you lived there? We moved there when I was six years old. Okay. And it's over um, by the Unity Village area, over by Knobtown. Yeah, I drive down 50 Highway all the time, <laughs> 350 and 50. <laughs> 350 Highway, Knobtown, and it's the little house on the left. <laughs> you see it right off the highway. <laughs> nice. During that time, I, I had a lot of health problems, um, a lot of lung issues, um, 
which developed. I've never, I never was born with asthma or with lung issues, but this pretty much developed when we were living in this house. And if you studied with the paranormal, you will know that children who are raised in a house that's infested with paranormal um, sicknesses, um, lung issues, lung infections are, can be quite a problem with children. Well, if that was the case, why I developed the lung problems, I don't know. As time went on, uh, my lung problems ended up with respiratory failure, and it was at the house. Oh. And I pretty much didn't, couldn't breathe. There was no time for an ambulance or anything. Mom put me in the car, and I was like a dog hanging out of the car window getting to Lee Summit Hospital. And as soon as we reached the hospital, I convulsed, and I, I was coded for over three minutes. Do you remember that experience at all? Um, I remember being at home when I when it started, but honestly, I don't remember anything until two weeks later when I woke up in the hospital. I have to tell you this, you know, of course, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I had a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I had. All I can tell you is I remember absolutely nothing but one experience, and it was that I was surrounded by total blackness and it was like as if I was in a very small tube-like structure. But within this tube-like structure, I could see nothing. But what I was able to experience was what I felt. And what I felt was this most profound, unexplainable love. And I was surrounded by it. And this love is something that I've never experienced since and probably never will in this level. But what it was, I don't know. I can't tell you if it was angels, aliens, or the doctors. I don't know. But when I recovered, I went through a, a really bad depression to the point where I didn't care if I lived or died. But what I was looking for was that experience again, that love. Oh, wow. I couldn't find it. I didn't have it. And so that's what sparked my research. I went after I recovered from my depression, you know, then I'm, then I just started searching, started searching religions, other people who experienced what I went through, um, started researching the paranormal. But one thing that did happen to me after the so-called what I presume it was a near-death experience, I don't know, was it changed something in me. Some people say it changes your antenna. Like, those who are, who have passed, they can sense something about somebody who went through an experience like that or what? I started experiencing a lot after my, after that respiratory failure back in 1986. Your huh? door was opened, your receptors were turned on. It was turned on. I never had this, oh, well, yeah, growing up in the haunted house, yeah, we experienced things and as a child and, you know, we saw things, hear things, and then this happened to me. Oh my gosh. Now, you shared a really creepy story. Something happened? Yes. This was um, in 2014. I um, was working with, I do a lot of minister work, and that's part of this research I'm doing. I was counseling this family who's their daughter um, that they thought committed suicide due to drug overdose. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, I was picking up other feelings from off of this, and I don't know if her spirit was around me or something else was giving me clues, but I totally picked up that she was she did not commit suicide. I picked up that she was murdered. And I told the mother, please investigate this more. Don't give up on this. Um, look into your daughter's death a little bit deeper. 
when I went home that night, I felt very uneasy. But prior to to all this, um, there there's been other clues like feeling like I've been choking and um, having problems breathing again. And I didn't know what was going. Might have been something off my lungs. But when I went home that night, went to bed very, very uneasy. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, something or someone woke me up and said, and it was a woman's voice, and it said, bad girl. Right after I heard that, something licked very slowly all the way up my neck. I can feel the texture, the moistness from that feel, and I instantly got up, thinking that was either demonic or some spirit that was around me. I was I was frustrated because, and I actually went to a mirror to see if there was markings on my neck it was that vivid um real quick what did the voice was it like a hiss was it a sneer yes it it was very much like um like bad girl just like very... it was like somebody was angry at me disciplinary it was but i didn't recognize the voice i didn't recognize it that it was um like my aunt who passed on who was real close to or a grandmother I did not recognize the voice. The age of the voice sounded like might have been somebody in their 30s. Not a child, not a teenager, not even. The girl um, who had the drug overdose was in her 20s. Wasn't even around, even didn't sound like it was somebody that young. It could have. But it just didn't make sense to me that they would say bad girl and then lick my neck. And it was on the right side that they licked my neck. Well, two weeks after this experience... I decided to go see a doctor to find out why I've been having the sensations of choking and not able to breathe real well. And the doctor felt my neck. And I go, oh, that's strange. And then she, the doctor went, let me have your hand. So she grabbed my hand and brought my hand over to the left side of my neck. She goes, don't you feel this? I go, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's huge. It was a huge nodule. I go, how come I never felt this before? And all of a sudden, I feel this now. Very strange. So she made an appointment with me to go to an ENT, ears, nose, and throat doctor. And then he looked down my throat. He goes, yep, you're going to have to have surgery. Before we were talking about surgery, he did a sonogram on my neck or had the sonogram ordered. And they ran a sonogram on my neck. And they found a four-centimeter nodule on the left side of where my thyroid is but also two one-centimeter nodules next to the four-centimeter nodule. And so that was um, his decision that surgery is going to have to be a must. So we got surgery. We planned it. And a week later, I told the doctor, I go, if you remove the four-centimeter nodule, I want my entire thyroid removed. I don't feel comfortable leaving my entire thyroid I want it removed. Mm -hmm. It was just like something nagging in the back of my head. Remove my thyroid. Remove it. Remove it. And actually, when I was in prep for surgery and as they were rolling me down to the surgical room, I was screaming at the doctors, take it all, take it all. And of course, I woke up in recovery and I asked my husband who came in, I go, is my thyroid gone? He goes, yeah, um, I guess, but you don't have cancer. They removed the, the, the large nodule. And then the doctor came in and said, well, we removed the nodule and the left side of your thyroid. And we left you 
because it's healthier for a person to have at least 5% than no thyroid. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to, to manage your health. And I was furious, furious at this doctor. I screamed at him. I go, I told you to take all my thyroid. I can't have my thyroid, any of it. So I went home. Well, I was after a night stay in the hospital. The next day I went home. A week passed. I get a phone call. It was the doctor. And he goes, well, we're going to have to go back in surgery. And I go, why? The 5% that we left had cancer. But I don't understand that, why the pathology report didn't show anything. And I go, I told you to remove the whole thyroid. I went back into into the hospital, had the rest of the thyroid removed, and that was 2014. Did you have to pay for a whole other surgery and procedure? I'm assuming I did. It was funny. It was all I received was a hundred dollar bill. I mean, a bill from the doctor for only a hundred dollars. But I had paid so much on my deductible that year that yeah. I, I I assume I had to pay for the hospital and for the surgery surgery and the anesthesiologist. Nobody, they couldn't do this for free. No, no. You know, it's not their fault. So of course, yeah, I had to pay for the time and everything. That's why I was so upset about it too. Mm-hmm. And it might have been why this is why it still comes back to me. Was this presence that came to me before all this happened, was that presence trying to warn me or did that presence cause this? Because it was the right side of my neck that the licking sensation happened. Yeah. Or was it warning me? Was it a thank you from the girl who, um, that I thought was presumed murdered instead of committed suicide? Was she thanking me for consoling her mother? I don't know. It's a weird way to go about it. I mean, it would be a weird way to say bad girl as a warning. Yeah, but I would not have paid attention to my health if that that thing or being or spirit hadn't said that. I would have. I had stage one papillary carcinoma. If I would have been the hard-headed self that I am and went on with my life and continued on, I would have ignored it. It would have been stage two, stage three. Would have went to my brain. It, who knows? It was cancer. How to take something that drastic. So they were being evil sounding. They were being malicious sounding to get you to take action. Yeah. I get that. I just have no clue who it was. I mean, that's the problem with the little gift that I obtained after respiratory failure was I can see things, hear things, feel things, but sometimes I don't know who they are. I don't know you know, like what it is or, or, or who it is. And that's very frustrating. Does it come Hmm? to you? Do you see it? Does it come to you in feelings, thoughts, sound? I can actually, I've had spirits come to me. It's just like looking at a person standing in front of me. It's, um, you don't get the detail in their face as if a person's in front of you. It's almost like, um, a painting almost like the flesh color. Um, the features that come to me are more vivid. Um, and it's not a dream I've had. I have seen spirits just eyes open. I don't like to see this. I always, I always ask my spirit guides or whoever's around me to turn this off because I can't handle it. I don't, I do not like to see. I don't mind hearing or feeling or smelling, but please do not make your presence known by letting me see you. This might be a weird question, but do you drink or use drugs to stop the sight, or does that make it worse? 
I used to. Um, when in my early 20s, um, it used to really frustrate me and bring on a lot of fear and depression. And then, of course, it brought back fear of dying, mm-hmm. just confusion. So I used to drink pretty heavily to mask a lot, you know, to a lot of these feelings and to suppress them. As of now, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of research, a lot of reading. And just talking to people um, who have got similar experiences to kind of help me through it. So when you were doing this research, did you ever read the Tibetan Book of the Dead and like the stages of death and acceptance and all those? Um, I started dabbling a little bit in Tibetan Buddhism. My husband is Buddhist. He's from the Bruneo um, rainforest out in Bruno. And um, he's pretty much hardcore Buddhist, but he's uh, more pure land. And he is also, he's pretty intuitive. And I don't know if it's just him growing up in the rainforest like he did. Um, He's very understanding. And he actually talks me through a lot of this. But um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, I have yet read that. But I have heard a lot about it. You really need to read that Tibetan Book of the Dead. (laughs) I can't recommend it enough to you. (laughs) You may have to check that one out. it's, It's more of a path or the process of dying. It well, is. if you ever had talked to any of your friends and if they're psychic and if they can show some light on that, I would like to know. Cool. What What is the website? It's Mystic Moms Paranormal. I don't have a website. Um, it's just you can find me on Facebook. It's a page. And, and, and it has um, some of the tours that I do at the John Warnell House and Alexander Majors House that uh, we do public paranormal investigations around the October time, as well as if you want to go privately on a paranormal investigation tour at the John Warnell House or Alexander Major's house, I do that. So you can find me on just the Facebook page. I'd like to thank all of our callers tonight. I was inundated with ghost story emails, so... I apologize if I didn't get back to you or schedule you for a call. It was just getting overwhelming trying to talk to everybody. So I just picked out the first few that I received and and went that way. Uh, But I did read all your emails and there was some pretty creepy stuff in there. So thank you for writing in and please share your stories uh, once I post this episode in the comments if, if you so desire. I hope everyone has a happy Halloween. November will be family values. And I might even include a special episode for everybody.